Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Center for Christian Music Studies at Baylor University. This podcast was recorded at the 2010 Alleluia Conference. In this session entitled, A Theology for Classroom Management, Charlotte McElroy introduces a classroom management approach modeled after biblical concepts and God's love for his people. Charlotte hopes to help you teach, transform, and equip your children to reflect Christ's character while maintaining order in your choir. To learn more about the Alleluia Conference, visit us online at www.baylor.edu slash alleluia. Classroom management and, um, is that you can set the tone with the music that the children hear when they enter the room. Um, I will tell you what I generally do. Our children come straight from uh, church supper and then the gym. They gobble down their church supper so they can all go to the gym and be hooligans for a few minutes. And so they come straight from the gym where they are sweaty and nasty, and usually there's at least two of them that have been in a fight. So this is how they come into my choir room. I am playing music as they come in. I am not playing that music. <laughs> I am playing usually like a pretty hymn arrangement, very, very soothing, instrumental. But even as they enter the room, you begin to manage the classroom. Now, this is so important. I mean, when the first child steps in that door, you begin managing the classroom. Now, you have a couple of choices here. Either you can manage the classroom or they will. Those are the two choices. Because I'm telling you, if you don't manage the classroom, you will have some of them who absolutely will. Now, as for those of you who are new to this class, my name is Charlotte McElroy, and I'm from Tupelo, Mississippi. And one of the things that I will tell you, is, as I told the last class, God teaches you through the years. Um, God began to lay on my heart a number of years ago, and I'll tell you what started it. I've been very involved in our public schools, and um, um, I've read a lot about education. Um, most of my training was in music and religious ed. So, um, although I did a lot of substituting into public schools and uh, was on our school board, but um, I began to be very bothered the more I read about a lot of the management discipline programs that have emerged out of pop culture. Um, because a lot of, not everything, but some of it seems to be contrary to God's word. And uh, it, would, it would be kind of a frightening thing because you'd be reading along and you'd think, oh, that's right, that's good, that's right. And then you'd just get to something that was so opposite to scriptural guidelines that you just wanted to go, whoa, Ham. And um, it was very hard, particularly in the 70s and 80s. There's more on the market today because Christian groups have made a real effort to do more on parenting and child raising. And there's much, much more uh, available today than there was in the 70s and 80s, particularly. But a lot of that still has crept into our management of classrooms at the church. And so God just little by little began to lay on my heart that I needed to explore the scriptures for really how he manages us. And manage, I mean, loves us. And how we can translate that to our classroom. And this has been an emerging thing, and it is still emerging. I hope someday it will be a book, but who knows? I never quite get around to that stuff. Um, but I will first tell you that in, in managing your classroom, you need, before we get to our green sheet, I'm just going to give you some basics 
If you don't, a lot of you probably already know a lot of this if you've been in the classroom, but I'm just going to give you some little basic rules, things that have helped me a lot. First of all, and I cannot believe I did not know this when I first started doing children's work, never jam the chairs up together. I am telling y'all, I went to a workshop one time, and it was like God opened the doors of heaven for me. Because, you know, our janitors would, would set up the frame a lot of times, and this is how they would do it. Every, well, they still do. Every chair, everywhere, is just like this. Now, in the children's room, do you like to sit that way for a minute? No. I I just need a little bit of room for my elbows, and, you know, I've never been a small tiny person, and I just, but this person said, if you want to do one thing to make your classroom better controlled, don't jam the chairs together. Allow at least three inches. Y'all, it has transformed my life. <laughs> I, I know that seems like a little thing, but with children, same thing with children. The closer you have them together, the more they like each other more. Very straight <laughs> It is magic. So if you have been jamming the chairs together or if your janitor has stopped that immediately, and, and you know, and by the way, let me show you some good children alignment. <clears throat> if you are in a, now, now I'm going to tell you on this class, I do not want you to walk out of here thinking that this is God's work. When it's God, I'll tell you. <laughs> I'm the grandkid. What I'm going to tell you in this session are things that have worked well for me. That does not mean it's the only way to do things. And I will honestly tell you, your personality, your personality, your individual personality, probably cannot dictate how you manage your classroom. Because I can might, I might even get by with one hundred percent of my work. But conversely, So don't think that what I'm telling you is the end-all, be-all, only way to do it. It is my favorite way, and maybe you can see something in there that you can adapt, but don't go out and say, well, she said to do your chairs this way, but I've always liked them this way. No, if it works for you, great. This is my favorite one. When it's preschool and you're on the children, I prefer skinny stuff. With an eye. Actually, I prefer this with every age. <laughs> I would keep saying with every age. See my space? You see my space? If I have more children than this, I repeat it. See where I'm putting the chairs? Last year, 
surprised to me about this in hospital. But the, the ladies that work down there, some of also have this circumstance. So, you know, I'm done. But that's where I am. But anyway, our church at its heyday was 95. We've got about 50 ladies in the choir. We had a big church baptism uh, about five years ago. Way too many people. If they couldn't find somebody, I wanted somebody to take care of them and take care of us. Uh, and they did that later. But um, I'm not saying that's what I recommend that we do. I'm not saying that is what we do. We had to make an adult choir and get some other stuff going. It was revival. But all that to say, you learn how to lead. I, this is my preferred way of treating children because I can walk in the circle. Moms in particular, don't be me. I'm going to laugh. But you can do a lot of rows with your babies. You know, you can do quite a few rows and still be able to get to them. The other thing I like to do is if we have any little discipline problems, you put them on the end, keep the chairs here. And to do this too, I keep this in front of the chair and here. It gives us a lot of flexibility as far as. Somebody needs to get something. I'm sorry, the chair's not here. Other thing it does, which I really like because I'm certain chairs, it gives me lots of versatility placing uncertain chairs. And I hope y'all know this because I've had this for later. If you have an uncertain chair, the last place you want to put it is in the chair. What you want them to do, the best way to do it, is to have them kind of toward the middle of the choir, maybe right here, and have a great singer on this side, and a great singer on that side, and a great singer behind them. And center them in, see they're surrounded here with three good singers. And it gives me a lot of versatility as far as moving them. Um, and I will tell you how I find them in the kind of really works. And over toward the front, on the second night, not the first night because they were all there and they don't know who to do it. I have a big list on the wall of all the people that I want to give them their Christmas cards that say that they're Christ. <coughs> and there's five children that you write on the Christmas card. Everybody that's Do not look at that. Okay, I'll just hand out your cards. 
I mean, that, anybody, I know all the tricks. You know, that's one thing about getting older. You know every trick. And I said, do not, little girls, and this is always to girls, like, please, 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 14 times by your favorite person. If I was trash, I'll put that person at the end of the box on the list. Anyway, by name. <clears throat> then I go home. Now, keep in mind, I already know the unsurely sinners from fifth and sixth grade, and I know the deacon problem, so I'm just really having to work this through stuff. You can always ask the teacher. I get on my dining room table, and I start working. And I put every child by at least one person on their list. You have to have five, you know, because you've got to have a lot to work with. Then I start moving around, you know, trying to control my discipline problems and my uncertain sinners. And I will tell in 15 years of doing this, it has never not worked. Sometimes I've had to really sit over it. It's like a huge puzzle. Um, but when it's all done, every child is by at least one person on their list. You follow me? And I have control the uncertain seniors and the discipline problems. Now let me tell you what is wonderful about using your children as children and putting them in the right place. You can trick them in a way. <laughs> You have to have consequences. And in church, sometimes it's hard to figure out consequences since you generally don't beat them or, you know, any of that stuff. So, remember, anything you give them by grace, you can take away. Is that what God does? Absolutely. So, I say to them, I am, boys and girls, trying to demonstrate grace to you. Everybody gets to pick somebody. But if you sin and you talk and create disruption in choir, you will be separated from your friend for three weeks. And during that time, you can pray for forgiveness and get your act together and you listen to Galatians and develop self-control and then in three weeks you get another try. Now, if you do it again, you're separated forever and you turn through at least for that year. <laughs> so... I know that that sounds silly, and I have to have the secretary, in addition to keeping the role, she has to sit back there and keep up with, you know, who I've separated. But it really doesn't, you don't have to separate them very much, because all you have to do is on the first couple nights of choir, separate two of them. You know, you two girls talking, I'll just say, oh, Susie and Beverly, must not want to sit by each other very, very bad. So they're going to have a little three-week vacation. <clears throat> That's all I say. The other teachers, separate them three weeks. I, I don't have to do that but once or twice, usually in a year. Now, I know that this sounds like trouble, and it is, because when you have all these cards and you're working on your dining room table, sometimes you think, this is never going to work. But if you're just too bad, you give everybody a friend on their list, and you can control your problems. But then you lose like 90% of your problems for the rest of the year. You see where I'm going with this? So it's worth that night on the dining room table because you have really solved a lot of problems. And, um, and sometimes I know when I put two of them together, you know, because they've requested, that they're going to get separated anyway, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> you know? So I let them start off thinking, you know, I, that I have grace, and uh, which I do. I have grace, the fact that I even let them try. And, and sometimes I say, you know, you couldn't make this work in fourth grade. You're not making it work in fifth grade, but there's always sixth grade. <laughs> you know? Right out of the Bible. Does God keep giving you different chances? Now, I started off with this seating thing because controlling the seating for me has been the best thing I have ever, ever done in my life. I don't care if you've got 12 kids or 100. Um, now, somebody always asks, what do you do about absentees? Because, you know, you always have gazillions of absentees. About 10 minutes into choir, the children know to move in. So we just move in toward the center, leaving all the vacancies on the end. Simple. 
but really just once after we get started and kind of warm up and do one song, that's pretty much who's going to be there. So we, we have a move-in moment. And, uh, and sometimes I think of some truly wake on the move-in, or sometimes I just I give them a second, three seconds, move-in moment. So, uh, if you don't give them the time, it'll take them five minutes to move. Uh, so, any questions about Stephen? Squeeze a chair in. Yeah, squeeze a chair in. We do. It happens to us all the time too. And sometimes if we can't squeeze one in, we'll just let those two move to the end. And I make a big deal. Okay, go to visitor. Great. Y'all may want to sit down here so you can sit together. You know, again, be flexible. Don't get anything so ingrained in stone that it's controlling you. Remember, you control it. It doesn't control you. God has given you the authority to run your classroom. You know, it's okay. So um, he says over and over again that as teachers, you know, you need to be the leader. So it's okay. Um, discipline only in the basics. You do not need to have a list of 20 rules in your class. I mean, I, I've, I've gone in choirs where, honestly, they would have 20 rules. And, and you know, you just want to go, let me tell you, I want to, like, be Christ-like to others. That generally covers everything, you know. <laughs> I mean, I, that's always one of mine. I have I have no leftovers to God, you know, which you know deals with the hardly business. I have uh, be Christ-like to others. I have worship at all times. You know, I have these real general sort of things that, you know, you can just sort of put everything else under. Um, and I, I, you know, and sometimes I change them if I don't think it's working. But I always have no leftovers to God, and I always have uh, be Christ-like to others. And I, ha I finally had to add last year after they moved this and put us at this end of the hall, this swanky little ring. I had to add no running, jumping, hitting the door facings, hanging off the door facings. You know everything that that you know. And I just said, you know, generally. No wild behavior, you know, and um, and and then I, and I tell them because you know they love to come to me and say, well then is it okay to climb on the kindergarten locker? And I say no, generally that is wild behavior. And if you have to come to me and ask me if it's a wild behavior, I said it is because if you come and ask me, I'm going to tell you it is. You know, whatever it is, it's going to be wild behavior because they we're, now that we're all on the hall together, you know, they have stepped up to the Strength zone. So what do you think older children do with that? We are having leaping contests into other people to see if they can catch you. So leaping, running, jumping, you know, all that. <clears throat> my favorite year, well, not my favorite year, but my favorite thing that they ever did, actually my unfavorite, was the year our church was. Yes, it was in 1992, and our sanctuary, the old boiler exploded, and the whole thing went up in flames. And uh, they, we lost the sanctuary, saved all the education buildings, but they were horribly smoked. Now, I used to think when people said something had smoked in, which I was like, oh, great, that's not so bad, smoke damage. Oh, little did I know, smoke damage, you might as well just burn it down. You know, I'm going to tell you, just pray for God to take it on out, because... It was nasty, and it put mud, and it was greasy, grimy black soot on every surface, and it was months and months and months. But anyway, finally, we got back, and floors one and two of the education building that we were in, but, no, no, I take that back. We, you could get in one and three, but for some reason, they didn't let us in two because it was the worst floor because it was on the level of the sanctuary. I always get to start early. Always. And I thought I was early. I get there in time to see Bennett Witcher, and the reason I'm telling you his name is he's getting married on August 15th, and my son is in his wedding. <laughs> and Bennett was always at the center of anything like this. Bennett Witcher is hanging out the third floor window of the church, <laughs> holding the legs of Jock Bell, 
so that Jock can look into the second floor windows of our church to see how bad the smoke damage is. So I'm scared to yell, thinking that Bennett will drop Jock and then onto the concrete sidewalk below. I mean, y'all, this stuff goes on all the time. I mean, I know some of you are laughing because you've been there, haven't you? And I'm thinking, where are the screens? Where are the locks? Well, everything had been taken out before the fire. But anyway, I'm, 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 I've been making a list of Bennett stories because I'm speaking at his rehearsal tonight. And <clears throat> there was also the night, just so I was just for our discipline, Bennett and three others come rushing into choir early. I mean, I'm telling y'all, Bennett, now almost, almost 29, getting married. Bennett and three others come running into choir early. They call me Miss Mack. Miss Mack, we came early to help you. What can we do? They had never come early to help me. So immediately I knew there was a problem. And they were sweating and they, you know, breathing hard. They'd been running. And I said, oh, do you always act like you're singing so you can tell? So I said, oh, how sweet. So I said, y'all are all sweating and breathing hard. Anything happen? No, no, no. So we walked in there and I put him work. Well, I had made fun of giving him some jobs to do. And this big, burly policeman comes down the hall. And I immediately, you know how you can feel somebody behind you? Bennett had literally glued himself immediately behind me so that no one could see him. Now, Bennett is one of my son's ages. That's why I know so much about him. <coughs> This policeman comes stomping down that hall, and he is mad. And he said, I'm looking for the boy that broke my police car window. He had followed him up there. And I am literally, Bennett has glued, I mean, he is practically sucked to my body. <laughs> and I knew it was Bennett, you know. And so um, he said there were a bunch of boys out there throwing rocks at cars that went by. And they were repaving the parking lot, of course. And so there were rocks. And of course, if you were a boy and there were rocks right in front of you, wouldn't you throw up the car? So um, they broke the policeman's window. I thought later, if I was going to throw a rock, it would not be at the police car. You know? So anyway, I just immediately pulled in it. And I said, is this the one? <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and he said, yeah, all these were involved, but he's the one that actually threw the rock. So, I'm telling y'all, this is standard at my church. <laughs> um, now, how did I respond to that? I just looked at Bennett and I said, Bennett, I said to the policeman, I said, I will accompany you downstairs and we will find the parents of these boys. And I said, they are all yours. You know, I, you know. Now, I'm telling you these stories because I'm telling you, it's funny, we all laugh, but if you're about to start choir, and there's a bunch of other kids coming down the hall. And this, you know, it was every week. And I'm, it was, and Bennett had the most engaging smile of anybody you've ever seen. You know, don't they always? You know, they're either surly and will probably turn out to be criminals. I had two really surly ones that are now in the pen. We didn't, we didn't make it with them. But, um, but um, even when you're old, you deal with everybody. Um, but they're the ones like Bennett. And my son, my son Chuck, God love him. He and Bennett shot bottle rockets into the neighbor's garage and almost caught their house on fire. <laughs> of course, he's in the ministry now. <coughs> <laughs> Are you a College minister, yeah, with campus outreach. Yeah, yeah. Two kids, married. You know, I always thought it would be the older one. But no, no, it, it was the one that these, there were 13 boys in this class, and they were the ones people were, would retire from Sunday school, you know, when they moved them into this. Now, we're laughing, but if you've taught, you know what I'm talking about. Um, it says in the Bible that a soft answer turneth away wrath in Proverbs 15.1. I'll just be honest with you. I've never had a soft voice, and I've tried. <laughs> but actually, when I go to my softest voice, the kids know I'm furious. I mean, I'm so way past mad at something. 
And, and sometimes that's okay for you to just have a look and say, um, Now we're going to talk about some general other things as we go. And I want to tell you, since this is a classroom management thing, if you have a question as we go, please interrupt me. I do not mind questions, and I think we need to have them. I want you to get your green sheet. Now let me tell you what this is. And we'll, we'll turn it over on the back. But look at the little picture. Now this is not a great theological uh, expression of art here. I can't draw at all. But um, I was trying to give you here a little picture of how God processes us, for lack of a better word. And if you'll look at the bottom, what does it say? Dirt is everywhere. And so are wrongdoing and consequence. They are ongoing. They permeate life. They permeate your life. They permeate my life. They permeate the lives of the church. I wish in a perfect world that when we became Christians and we learned to follow the Lord that we just were sinless. But that's not the way it works because the only perfect one is what? He's the only one that did the whole thing without sin. We are going to continue sinning. Sin permeates. It's there. So why should you expect to have problems as followers? Because you've got that little problem with sin. Okay, how many children, some of you have? How many of you have 20 or less? Okay, how many have 30 or less? How many have more than 30? How many you have? 40 plus? 35 to 40. Okay. So everybody 40 and under. Okay? <laughs> Even if you've got 10, you've got 10 sins. 10 sinful people. 10 sinful people is a lot of people. <laughs> 40 sinful people is a whole lot of people. So my point is, accept the fact that sin permeates. And let me tell you something. Don't be afraid to say the word sin. It is wrongdoing. And I explain that to the boys and girls constantly. But wrongdoing in the Bible is called sin. If God calls it that, why are we shying away from it? I also call it wrongdoing a lot so that children understand it. But don't shy away from the word. Call it what it is. Now, I want to tell you something. There is a difference between a mistake and a sin. If I'm trying to balance my bank statement and I subtract incorrectly, that is a mistake. But if I am misappropriating trust funds, my husband's an attorney, that is more than a mistake. We just had an attorney in Tupelo do that recently, and he's now in federal pens. You, miss, you know, you know, misappropriate trust funds using for yourself, that's, that's sin. That's not a mistake. That's not a clerical error. Do not mistake the two and call them what they are. Explain to me how, how the Holy Spirit convicts us if we don't call wrong wrong and call sin sin. What do we gain if I tell you this is pink? Does that make it pink? Duh. So, you know, you don't have to... Be all ugly about it. You should say, you know, God has a word for wrongdoing, and the word is sin. And it's easy to spell. That's I am. So if you're bad spellers, it's much easier than wrongdoing, I tell them that. <laughs> now, the next step on this, theologically, is conviction. And what I did for you on the back was I defined each of these theological terms for you and gave you some scripture references. Because I wanted you to see... This is not something I've made up. This is right out of Scripture. And what I'm encouraging you to do, we can't do a whole, you know, big deal on this today. What I would hope you would do is to take your time and sit down with your Bible, and before you make your classroom management plan for this year, that you read through all the Scripture and let the You need to think of it in terms of your children's needs and what's theirs. 
But conviction, what does it say on the back conviction there? To convince or prove guilty. Now I'm going to tell you something. Unless a child acknowledges sin, how can you convince them they're wrong? Are you following me? I could tell you all day this is a pink piece of paper, but it's not. You know, call sins in, and here again, you've got to be open. Why are we such, you know, philosophical, popular mess over this? Why is that become an ugly word? <laughs> I mean, and if you're uncomfortable with it, get over it. Because it's just like everything else in here. That's a chair. Call it a chair. Don't call it a four-legged testament proceeding. <laughs> I mean, does that make it anything less than a chair? See, I promise y'all, I'm great with words. I could be a politician's speechwriter in a heartbeat because I know how to describe everything in six ways. I can, I can be politically correct, and it is a bunch of trouble. And when somebody is trying to slick you with that stuff, don't you know it? So if I come in here and say, this is a four-legged instrument proceeding, you'll go, why didn't you just say it was a chair? Move that four-legged instrument proceeding. You'd say, why didn't you say move the chair? I'm telling you, call sin sin. Okay, then we'll get back. Because then, you can't, how can you convict of something, you know, if, if you don't even know what it is? There is wrong and there is right, and then there are mistakes and errors, and that's a whole different book. That's when I can't balance my, my, I can't subtract. Now, God then gives us the opportunity for confession. And this is a theological deal. I, I consulted with two PhDs in theology to get this right. Because I had all the words, but I didn't really know sometimes how they fit together. Now, confession is simply saying, I own up, I admit that I did something wrong. I recognize God's authority, and, and you know, and I rec you know, I confess. How many of you are parents or grandparents? Um, okay, classroom teachers, pretty much everybody. How can you teach a child right from wrong if you never can get them to admit that they're wrong? Have you ever tried to deal with a child that would not admit that they're wrong? And they have two hundred excuses. You know, oh, I didn't really mean to do that. Like, oh, well, you know. Oh, it was just a misunderstanding. There was the time my older son, you know, he and his best friend tried that trick of telling each other if they were going to spend the night at each other's house. Mm -hmm. And their real plan was to try to stay out all night. And, of course, we caught him. And I'll never forget his daddy got him on the phone and said, you get home right this minute. We know you're not at Connors. And he came in the door, and I can see this at this moment. Now, he is now a 33-year-old attorney in Birmingham, and I pray God he's got and he's got, I mean, one of them is going to be the negotiator of the century. But he walked in our house, and this is exactly what he did. I can picture him right now. He said, gee, there was this big misunderstanding. Connor thought he was saying, here, I thought he was saying. <laughs> You ever seen that? Now, you don't get to conviction and confession if you can't call it what it is. By the way, he did not get sniggle out of that. Um, and we don't with God. You can stand before God and you can say, oh, gee, God, I, I really didn't mean to rob those folks and steal their trust funds, but you know, it was just there and I was going to pay it back. And God's sitting there going, man, I know your heart. I know your heart. So the reason this makes sense is you're going to talk to children like this. See, this is how you manage your classroom. You're going to talk to children in these terms. So that's why we're going through them. Because you can't talk the talk if you don't know what they mean. Then, regeneration, forgiveness, and redemption kind of occur simultaneously. Regeneration is salvation, new birth. That's all about that name. You know what forgiveness is. God extends that. And redemption means that, you know, it's, it's been off for you. Like, it would have been so nice, I guess, if that man that stole the trust fund, if somebody had paid off the debt and paid off all the fines, he could have avoided jail. You know, but who was going to do that? Nobody was that good a sin, were they? But see, Jesus was. Jesus was. And this is how you talk to your kids. Because, see, 
uh, if a child says he's a follower of Christ, you can talk to him in whole different terms than the child who is not. Y'all follow me? Because this is the child you can say to, you know, man, you sin. God knows what's in your heart. You might consume this man. Probably can. God knows his heart. See, you stop a lot of stuff by just calling it what it is. Then, look what happens next. And these next four things occur simultaneously. Repentance, reconciliation, edification, and restoration. Now, just look on the back. What's repentance? Easy word for repentance. It's a mind change. It's really heartfelt penitence. Don't you love the little kid who, whatever they do, they say, Cyrus, Cyrus. <laughs> and is that heartfelt penitence? No, 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 no. Um, so that doesn't count. You know, because there again, God knows the heart. You may fool me, but you can't fool God. What is reconciliation? For you as teachers, this is important. God brings us together with him in harmony and friendship. Beth, if you have misbehaved, sinned in my choir, and we have had to have a come-to-Jesus meeting over it, we are now going to be reconciled. And you are not going to leave this choir room tonight until we are reconciled and we are in harmony and friendship. And the last thing I'll say to children before we switch is next week. Last thing I say to them if they go out the door. We're slick through the next week. We're not going to have this problem again, are we? You following what I'm saying? Reconciliation. <coughs> Edification. What's that? Build them up. Now, I'm not talking about that fake kind of, you know, what they did in preschool and younger children for a while where everything That, you know, there's a lot of studies now that shows that there's false self-esteem, it's garbage. I thought all along I thought it was, but, you know, <laughs> I just didn't, you know, I hated to be the one that said, you know, actually that's terrible. <laughs> but that is garbage. Edification is building up true care and helping someone to find their spiritual gift. You know, when it said that you edify them and equip them for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. I want to help Jason find his spiritual gifts and what that God has given him and help him learn how to serve. I build him up not by faking it, but by helping him to, and as you said, not only find the things we appreciate in other people, but teaching children what God has given them that is unique and wonderful, it is not the same he's given me. It's not the same he's given you. I will tell you one of the best things about getting older is I now can go and, and recognize that just because somebody has a different personality and a different style than mine does not mean that they are not wonderful with children. See, I used to think there was just this one sort of cookie-cutter kind of person that was good with kids. And I'm so, I was so wrong. God uses your abilities and gifts to minister to children. Yours, not mine, yours. And he puts you in there with a group of children and he wants you to do exactly what he's doing for you. Edify them, build them up, teach them what their talents are. You know, maybe one child wants to speak a part and another child wants to play an instrument and another child wants to do a solo. Why not? Why not? You know, they're not all going to grow up to be kinds of each other. So you want to edify and you want to restore. What does it say? What is restoration on the back? And I actually like the next one. What does it say? And it often refers to the end times in the Bible, but for our purposes, it means, it. I like to think of it as though I, 
I met them for the very first time and there was no history. No bad history. They are completely restored. Completely, completely restored. And then we don't really deal with sanctification a lot in choir, but I put it up there at the top with a little, that's supposed to be a dove. And by the way, I draw terribly in my choir as well, and the children make fun of it. And, and, and that's okay, because that's not my gift. And, and I like for them to know that I don't do everything well. I give it a shot, but this is not my best deal. And I can tell you right now, if my children would look at that, they would say, the dove is out of proportion to the mountains, and, you know, he doesn't even really look like a dove. And I'd say, you just use your imagination. God gave you that. But anyway, <laughs> sanctification really happens when? It's a process that begins from the time you become a believer, but it's not completed till when? Till you see Christ. So you're not going to see complete sanctification. But that's what you're working for. Now, let me tell you practically how this works. I've talked about it word-wise, but practically how it works. And we'll talk about some answers. I tell the boys and girls on the first night of choir essentially what I told you. And I don't go through all these words. I go through sin and consequences. And I go through conviction. And I go through uh, confessing. And I go through usually forgiveness and restoration. That's as far as I go. And that's my little rule speech for the night. Instead of giving us, you know, this little silly talk on our boys and girls. Here's how it works in here. I am going to treat you the way God treats me. Now, God is perfect, and he gets it right every single time. I am not perfect, so I'm going to mess up. But I'm going to try. Because I want you to see a picture of how God treats you. And so if I mess up, you need to tell me. Because I'm giving you permission. I said, the Holy Spirit, that's his main job. But I'm giving you permission to be his helper. And to come to me privately. If you think I have messed up, and we will talk about it. But I said, by the same token, you are in this classroom, and it is my job. The Holy Spirit has given me the job. This church has given me the job of teaching you how God teaches us. So I get to tell you, <laughs> you know, we're going to talk about when you do something wrong, and we're going to talk about, and there are going to be consequences. When you do wrongdoing, when you do sin, there are going to be some consequences. And they all know what that means. And they're all like, what are the consequences? And I said, I haven't decided on that yet. And we know one consequence, because in our seating plan, there's a consequence. Who's in here? Okay. I generally, if something is really getting out of control in choir, I'll just say, Jason, um, you and I need to talk in that room after choir. And, and one of the other teachers will just make sure you, you get in that room and um, wait on me. And she will tell your mama you're going to be at your next lesson. I don't give them, I don't really bring them out in front of the choir. <laughs> and you know all I do when I go in there? Uh, Justin, do you care if I demonstrate with you? Okay. I go in there. Now, Justin, let's just say... You have just yanked the chair out from somebody and they have hit their rear end and cracked their tailbone. Seriously, this happened last week. Cracked their tailbone on our new stupid floor in this room we're in, which y'all can see I'm not quite over yet. <laughs> so I'm praying about it. But anyway, I just usually sit there the whole time. Not buying a crossbow. Be very, very careful about cuts in this day and age. If you touch, try to make it shoulder. So I usually open up like this or up on and then I would walk over to them and say, and I walk in, and they'll almost always say, well, no, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but, I said, let's just talk about, I said, you know, and this is, this is what's important, I said, Jason, you know, when I lost you in the 
just dumped it right back in their lap. I'm going to tell you, you talk to a kid like that, Pastor, you think, you think Elder Jim Dodson gets a free pass? Because, you know, he's going to get mighty on his Bible. And usually that leads us into a time of prayer. And uh, then I'll usually say, all right, Pastor, give me your hand real quick. Just quick. So, you know, it's weird to crawl over them, but you don't have that problem with me. Now, that's the way you talk to it. And with girls, you just tone it down a little. With girls, you would just say, you know, not quite so, you know, I would be looking to me and Melissa, I would do the same kind of thing. But let me tell you how Papa does it. And, and, and we do the same thing. You see how I'm softening it a little bit than I did with the boy. I'm a little bit more with the boy. Here, we soften it a little bit. You know, the same ultimate result. And a few moments I'm told. Notice down how nothing I have not gone into a big hand mirror, beat yourself over the head. You know this time. Call it what it is. I'm done with it. That's what Jesus God does. He calls things in, he's done. And then I say, let's get your heart right with God, and when it's all over, I say, you know, I love you. Just because you called yourself to my call, you and God loves you. And we are happy. You help God pay the price. I will be mentally back to school and I will, you know, wonderfully raised for you. What started my heart on this way was about probably 20 years ago. I was at Harrisburg Baptist Church where I had a very, very large choir. And um, the interesting thing was this did not happen in the choir. It happened in the Sunday school. My husband and I were teaching fifth grade Sunday school. I'm going to make that a long story really, really short. There was a boy named Jonathan Wicker, and he was a nightmare. I mean, he had already been kicked out of um, RAs. They told him he could not come back because he put a pipe bomb in the bathroom, in the boys' room during, you know, blew up the whole toilet. Um, <clears throat> he had been told, um, uh, we had been called in, the whole, everybody that works with him in any capacity. I was not doing older children choir at that point. I was doing kindergarten choir, five-year-old. And um, the choir people had already told him he couldn't come back. So it was down to Sunday school. 
And y'all, I, I want to try to go into, this was a very disturbed child. I mean, in a lot of ways. Um, or so we thought. And so I consulted a child psychologist, Christian child psychologist in Nashville that I had happened to meet through some work I'd done at Lifeway. And I said, you know, here, here again, I tell y'all, God gave me a gift of perseverance. And I just, I was, I just couldn't give up on this child. Now, I didn't know that at the time, but God laid that on my heart because he don't give up on us. He does not give up on you. So don't you give up on any child. Model that. And anyway, I wish I could tell you with some spiritual wisdom, but it's probably just that I'm darn stubborn. But anyway, I went to the child psychologist, and I said, all right, tell me, tell me what I can do. And he is the one that told me to pull up a chair, face to face, eyeball, get on their level. And he said, can I, can I take the He said, get on their level, put your hands on their chair. You can talk any quiet. Always start with those words, I love you and God loves you. That's the first two words out of your mouth. And if you can't say them, you pray till you can. Because there's something wrong with your heart. Then, the, he told me if his behavior was so out of control beyond that, to actually have some men in the room pick up his chair, because he would wrap his legs you know, around here and take him out in the hall and have a water bottle. Now, he said, that's what you call it. And you sit with him, and you chat, and you drink some water, and talk. Okay. I mean, I wouldn't even go into all this stuff. But anyway, short story is, and this is when God convicted me of this. My husband was also in fifth grade Sunday school. And he knew the grandfather a little bit because of some legal work. So my husband decided to go back on home visit just because he kind of knew the grandfather anyway. Now, these family, we found out later, had been in our church forever, and nobody knew the story I'm about to tell you. My husband got to the home. He found out the little mother, who was abused. Her husband was in jail for beating her to her. Jonathan was the oldest child. The younger boy had had his third open-heart surgery. Nobody at the church knew. They were a family in crisis. Jonathan had, was in public school, you know. The sweet little mother looked at my husband and cried, and she said, I don't understand it. She said, I know it's true because he's in trouble at school, he's in trouble at church, nobody wants him. But she said, at home, he's perfect. She said, he mows the lawn, he cooks the supper. Well, y'all know what she said. She had seen the way that God had handled him. He was perfect. And then he got out of there and all the grades Nobody at that church, including me. God used it. And I tell this story everywhere I go because God brought me to my knees over that child. How horrible that this child's need was so great. And all we saw was the pipe bomb and the toilet exploded. So I knew there had to be something in God's plan. And this is how I got off on this tip. Talking to children in a different way. And then quickly as you go, let me tell you this one. I will use the child's name because his mother wouldn't care and he's not here. Um, <clears throat> Reed Brown came into my choir in fourth grade. He's now in sixth grade. Reed had a history very similar to Jonathan. The only thing that was better about it was that I knew better how to handle it. So from the very beginning, I went to his mom. Initially enough, same situation. Father had beaten both the mom and the child, the son, and they were now divorced. He had, uh, he didn't even, he, he had had supervised visitation with that lawyer. Reed was full of rage, and the only thing he had ever seen was violence. So every week, he was the one that pulled out the chair from underneath another one and literally cracked their tailbone. And, and, and this was weekly. I mean, this is all the time. I mean, this is it was really bizarre, horrible stuff. The difference was he, his mother and I stayed in contact, and she knew I cared about my child. And she reached the point with him 
said, hey, Jordan, I found Barbara Knox in um, in a market and uh, didn't stab her but tried to, and she called, uh, got help. But at that point, she decided she was going to have to send him to a separate church. And this was two years ago. And now here's the beautiful story. She came to me about to fill out the application for the school. And it was some tough questions. It was stuff like, would you want your child to be in the room with them? Would you want your child to be a helpmate with them? Answer no. <laughs> you know, I mean, I had to honestly answer. I have corresponded with that child for two years. He's at French Camp Academy in Mississippi. I sent him birthday gifts. Uh, when we discussed on the choir, I sent it to him. He was doing great at French Camp. Uh, he just was home a few weeks ago for a visit. He called me. He is a huge guy. I mean, he is, he's a big man, I mean, already. And he's just only sixth grade. And I'm going to tell you, I knocked heads with that kid as much as I ever have with anybody. And I'm telling you, misbehavior is completely out of control. The reason I'm leaving this story with you is my dealing with it was Holy Spirit led this and his mother tells me, and I'm not telling you this to um, be self-serving in any way, because I did not have that wisdom. God laid out that wisdom for me in his word. And I'm trying to share some of that with you, because if you don't talk to children, and you don't treat children the way God treats you, then how do they ever get it? And as you see, I'm very authoritative. Am I not? I'm very authoritative. So is God. I'm very firm. I do not tell them something before they know. I mean, my goodness, you're fourth grade and fifth grade. Or I'll say, you're first, second, third grade. Actually, I tell preschool the same thing. <laughs> you're four years old. You're five years old. Rewind your tape recorder. That's my favorite thing. Or now you have to say rewind the CD. But <clears throat> rewind the CD. What did I say? I tell boys and girls, I'm so old I can't repeat myself. My tongue's getting tired. So you better listen. You're, you better listen. Because Miss Max says it one time, and after that, we're going to have to rewind the CD. And when I read, hey, what did I say? It was never said. Oh, that's a biggie. Biggie. And what's it, what is that teaching? Listen. I don't have all the answers to this, but have I demonstrated enough that you get it? Okay. I want you to promise me that you will go home with your Bible, go through these terms, read these scriptures, and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And I would encourage you right now, if you know the kids that you have problems with, you start praying about it. And you look for their need. And I'm going to tell you something. God does not give up on you. And do not give up on a child. And what a gift. I sent Reed a tape of him at Christmas. You would have thought I had sent him the moon and the stars. He didn't even like hymns back when he was in choir. I mean, I don't know what's happened. God's taken over us. I'm telling you, you must do this. This is how we're changing next generation. And what a wonderful thing to have music as a tool to do it with. You have a tool that most other people don't have. Because most children will respond to music. Well, I'll frankly tell you, every child I've ever seen will respond to music in some way, shape, or form. With Reed, it was the baritone ukulele. Love those baritone ukuleles. That's our hope. Dear Father, help us to really understand that we cannot teach children about your love for us and the way your relationship develops with us, unless we model it with children. Father, help us to study your word and to develop in our classroom management plans procedures and strategies and rules and techniques, whatever you want to call them, that is modeled after the process you set forth in Scripture. And help us not to be afraid to call things what they are. Because it is only by naming them what they are 
that we can deal with conviction and confession and, and beyond that. Help each of these people to know that you have already equipped them with the wisdom to deal with children and that you continue to equip them, that it is not an ending wound. It's not a handout they read and walk out the door, but it's a life-changing, um, life-seeking way of dealing with children. And Father, help us to remember that our model is the way you deal with us. In your name we pray. Would you quickly look at the bottom of your handout and as you go out the door, these three questions. How does a person develop self-control? You'll point the children to Galatians. And by the way, I, when they say to me, I can't, I say, Well, I better have to get on it now because, you know, you can get that self-control. Now, look what I'm doing. I'm doing it with good humor. Don't you say to me, you can't, you can, because God gives you self-control. You just got to be praying about that. Does God ask that you teach only scripture? No. Read the parables of the law. Does God ask you to breed the children you want or accept the children you give? Answer right there. Have a good conference. By the way, quickly, this did not get put in the brochure. At the session I'm doing this afternoon on resources galore and more, there is a reading session. And the reading passages in Pine Lake, uh, there's a 10 uh, packet uh, thing in Pine Lake, and then I also have another uh, packet in here. So we will be doing reading session as well as resources. See you. Thank you again for listening to this podcast. To learn more about the Alleluia Conference, visit us online at www.baylor.edu slash alleluia.